1: I'm Richard Jacobs, executive director of the nonprofit Finding Genius and host of the Finding Genius podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road to a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that thyroid had be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy the pain and the invasiveness. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts is six months out, and I was worried about dying now even if it was irrational. So because of that, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature on steroids on the causes, of anxiety and a condition that affects well over 100 million. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible anxiety and depression for people that live with it, or for loved ones that have it, as my wife. To find out more about our fundraiser, .org, and click on the initiative. And now to our guest.
2: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Dr. Will Bateman. He's the CEO of what's called C-Cell Renewables, C C E L L. And we're going to talk about, uh, I guess what they're calling a hybrid coral reef that uses renewable energy to transform sea minerals into stone. So sounds very cool. Uh, the website is ccell.co.uk. So, Will, thanks for coming. How are you doing today?
3: Thanks for inviting me.
2: Well, tell me about uh, C-Cell. What's the premise of the company?
3: So seacell's fundamental goal is to provide coastal protection by turning back. So c seacell's fundamental goal is to provide coastal protection by building a natural living reef at sea that works in much the same way as a natural coral reef causing waves to break and thereby thereby you know, diminishing the energy in those waves before they reach the shore. So we, we actually sort of have three sort of missions to what we're... Our primary objective is to hold back the erosion caused by increasing waves. So, so let's start that again. Our primary objective is to hold back uh, erosion caused by the increased wave energy um, due to climate change. Um, a secondary objective of ours, something we're about to start working on now, is the, um, actually just trying to restore the marine ecosystem. So in, in the areas where we're working, and the sort the of third big piece that makes up our companies uh, around education so which we see you know i can go into more details about each of these but educating local locals particularly fishermen around the conservation of the marine environment is something that's very dear to us so we have these sort of three main elements to our company um, which we often you know we believe are complementary that's where we're, that's what we're doing so we, we started out on on that first mission is to build reef side coastal protection and we'll be starting the second section of that this coming year so with
2: that. So you're building artificial reefs because why? You're saying the wave action is stronger than before. And, and
3: so therefore, globally, what does that do? Yeah, so globally, um, there's, a, there's a really good paper that was put together by the University of Miami and uh, a team in Spain. And they've looked at the global wave climate and they've shown that the over the last sort of 30 years, the wave climate's increased by about 0.41 percent. I mean, that's quite a precise number. But obviously, that's an average globally. And that's due to, you know, stronger wind and that you know, blows across the water, creates larger waves, etc. Increase is not uniform across the world. So in areas like um, where I am now in the Yucatan in, in Mexico, the sea out here is increasing by about 1% to 2% per year. In some of the areas we looked at, they're getting about a 4% per year increase um, over the last 10 years. So, what we think is happening is that growth in wave energies is starting to accelerate. But as I said, it, it's, it varies. So, some places are actually seeing the wave climate reduce. So, it, it is it is very variable. But if you, you aggregate all of that up on a global, global perspective, the best estimates that we've seen suggest that 70% of coastal Lines are now seeing increased erosion, and it's it's you know it's it's a significant problem in every nation or every coastal nation in the world. Well, what's
2: okay? So I mean, I've never heard the term wave climate. Again, what's the implication? What uh, what happens so, it increases well, or decreases?
3: So what happens? Right. So if if you think about a wave, I mean, you, you think about waves on on the ocean. You know, they be, you know surf, etc. So those waves are now, uh, we aggregate that up over the last, say, 10, 20 years. In most cases, they're about, say, 20, 30% bigger. You know, the amount of energy in them is 20 to 30% more than it was 10 years ago. Now, the implication for an area like this is that... You know, 10, 20 years ago, can, you know, Cancun and, you know, most of the eastern and south of Mexico was not really that developed. You know, its Hotels were coming in. They'd seen a, a massive sort of increase in tourism really in the last decade, I mean, to two decades. So 10 years ago, everyone was happy. Fantastic beaches. Places like Playa del Cama are literally named after Playa means beach in Spanish. You know, they had tons of sand. They had beaches typically sort of 50 meters wide. I can show you photos now where those, that same beach is a meter. So the it's hit, it's hit this particular region very hard and many other areas of the world, um, places like Israel, for example, are here in Africa, significant issues along the western coast. And it is, and the only thing that's changed is the wave climate. You know, you know we have more hurricanes, more, you know, it's, it's severe storms, but it's the the steady erosion that's happening on a regular basis that that's caused a lot of that change that's not to say that human intervention in some of these areas hasn't also got a part to play i mean building piers and building you know various structures out in the ocean has interrupted some of the currents that that are that naturally replenish a lot of beaches but um that the, that the major thing that we're seeing is just a change in that wave planet. So what we're trying to do with our reefs is literally just wind the clock. So put a structure out there that just takes out a little bit of energy. You know, ultimately we're looking to take out about thirty percent of the energy, and just wind the clock back to pretty much ten years ago. The situation was ten years ago. Everyone was happy. Plus we get back?
2: Well, what happens when the wave energy increases on a particular you know beach or a stretch of coast, and what happens when it decreases?
3: Where you see so this, this is where it gets quite. Interesting. Not all waves are cool, as you can appreciate. So if you go to islands like Hawaii, you have, you know, they're, they're known for their huge surfing waves and they also have some fantastic. What you'll find though is that those beaches tend to be steeper. They probably have heavier, larger grains of sand and they've reached a sort of natural balance. Where if you come to areas like, um, here in Quintana Roo, the beach profile is very gentle. So you, you could walk out 100 metres and you go down, a, say, a metre. So the result of that is if when you change the wave climate and you've got, you know, when you've got a beach of a certain profile, you now change the wave climate, that beach is no longer it's no longer compatible with, with that changing changing climate. So to put that in context, bigger waves as they crash onto a beach Typically, if the waves crash down. You see a, like a, a rip current. You see a water coming rushing back out. If you've got a shallow beach or very fine sands, it'll often take a lot of that material with it back out, back out, back out. And th- those rip currents. I mean, if you talk to any surfers, they're very familiar with this. Those are, you know, if you have a bay, waves are coming in at a slight angle. Those rip currents are what the surfers would take them back out to the out into deeper water, so then can catch, you know, come round again and, and catch the next next waves. But those rip currents, if when you have larger waves plunging to a beach, you can cause quite a lot of erosion, take away a lot of debris. Now, eventually, if you've got, you know, if, if like Hawaii, you've got solid rock behind your 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 as part of your island. I mean, they've got sort of granite, and volcanic, you know, material that will create. The the waves meet meet a a natural balance, and some of those waves are bringing sand on, some of them are taking it off, and the rest of it, you know, it's just a constant cycle. But as I said, you've gone to an area like here where you've got quite shallow beaches and then created a much larger wave environment. The beach is just not consistent with it. And here, most of the, the coastline is just further sand. I mean, in many ways, you could think of the entire area as being one large sandbank. So when the, the the sea starts coming in and erodes away, it just keeps going. And you've now got houses, you've got hotels just literally just falling into the ocean because the, the, the bedrock.
1: Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, the ability to request specific topics or guests and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show.
2: Where does the material erode to? Does it go? To, does, does it get, get out pulled out the into the ocean? It goes hey, out hey, to hey. sea, but it has to, it has to go somewhere. Would it yeah. build up the, would it change the profile that the waves encounter as they move towards the beach? Would it get less steep and therefore change the wave action and make it? Uh, you, less it, energetic or more or what would
3: it do in this sort of area i mean you've got as i said you've got incredibly shallow coastline so it would take a long time before it would actually get back to a sort of a, a natural equilibrium so what you're seeing here is the sand is basically eaten away from the coastline um the beach the beaches are you know fallen back in this particular site i'm at it's moved back about 10 meters in the last five years and that that material is just is essentially washed out to sea now what we are also seeing is you often see sandbars forming out at sea now those are really interesting because if they are they occur in the right place and you then get the right storms coming from the right direction so it can actually bring that sand back on so it's wrong to say that large waves always cause erosion large waves from the wrong direction cause erosion large waves from the right direction can also put sand back onto a beach so you know you can get a mixture the Just to complete that picture, the the other thing that you've you have to be wary of is the smaller waves that come onto a beach are actually really good. Typically, they when when they break, they don't have that same sort of backwash effect. The you know the water breaks and then just sinks into the sand and slowly sort of drains back out to, the, out to sea. But before they break, they create this little jet of water that actually helps to push the sand onto a beach. So so a lot of the a lot of beaches you see is that those smaller waves that are breaking are actually pushing the sand onto a beach and help help to you know build it up so what you've got to do is is really understand the the wave environment um and then design structures that effectively filter out the wrong the, the waves you don't want so both in terms of direction and size but also allow those smaller waves to to continue to arrive on the beach in terms of where the sediment goes that's a really important question most beaches you, you see a general Movement of sand along a beach, so we get what we're we called wave-induced currents. So as the as the waves come in, they create these currents, and very often those currents run along the shoreline. And it's a bit like parcel to parcel, you know. I every year I get a couple of meters of sand from my neighbour on my right, but I also lose, to, you know, a couple of meters of sand, and I give those that to my neighbour on my left. Right, so. You know, this is a constant process. I mean, every single day there's sand moving from one, 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 from, from say the right to the left. And that's fine. And that's completely natural. The problem occurs when. Something interrupts that. So the first, the first issue is those waves are coming up stronger. So that, that conveyor belt of sand movement becomes much faster. The other problem with that that causes is, is then if those currents get too strong, sometimes they actually start to take sand far out into the sea. And once you get too far out, it's essentially lost forever because if you have sort of ravines or deep valleys out at sea, sand falls into those, you never see it again. Okay. So you've, you, you've got a, you've got a sort of balancing act there. And at the same time, of course, the erosion is actually adding sand back into the system. So you know where you're seeing erosion of people's beaches here, arguably that's actually good for the people downstream because they're now you know there is more sediment in the ocean that, that can feed beaches further downstream. It's it's a very very fine. What, what is the natural?
2: I would guess there's a purpose to this. So the natural cycling of a given day on a given beach, you know, you have low tide and high tide. What is the typical sand movement diurnally? and what does that do to the creatures that live in and around
3: a given beach not just humans
0: if you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on itunes
3: on a de- average day i mean the tides the tides are quite quite slow and gentle so they don't actually do a great deal um but what you do see is i mean particularly in an area like this the sand Every single wave that comes in, you see the waves hit the beach at a very slight angle and you can literally see it. You can, you can see them just rolling all the sand, just, you know, it may only move it two millimeters to, to, to one side or one direction, but it just, it's just relentless. And so the sand at the surface just is slowly just rolling down, down the coast. Um, I mean, in, in this area is slowly being moved westwards when you get storms turn up that you know that in in a large storm in particularly say a hurricane can have dramatic changes you know overnight and, and we you know we've seen this in lots of places from miami to certainly in kintana and cancun jamaica etc and bahamas more recently so there you can get dramatic changes and, it, and that comes back to you know these plunging waves that just rip away the sand and then draw it away the the issue just to be clear There is nothing that we can install that's going to stop a hurricane and we wouldn't even want. But what we, what we are trying to do is try to build up that sort of sand in front of a beach so that when a hurricane does hit, it takes longer before it, it, you know, it's got an awful lot more sand to munch through before it then actually does anything detrimental. And hopefully, you know, in most cases, hurricanes move through an area reasonably quickly. Although, you know, we've seen instances recently where I think it's Hurricane Dorian sort of park itself over the bahamas for a long period of time Um, what what happens naturally when
2: there are reef structures there's a coral reef off the shore um, and there's a storm versus
3: yeah yeah. so coral reefs are you know nature's sort of answer to a lot of this phenomenal for a whole range of reasons so starting out you in places like the maldives simply wouldn't exist if it wasn't for for the reefs themselves so what the reefs do is they are actually like they, they provide that sort of natural filter so larger waves get um The energy taken out of them, but they also can be, you know, a a good reef can actually cause those waves to break. So once, once a wave breaks, I mean, just as you, you know, again, imagine those waves breaking in Hawaii, you know, huge rollers, they tear themselves apart. So they can still be very ferocious, but if you can get those waves to break far enough away from the land, they will have, they will basically sort of filter themselves out or petered out by the time they get, get closer to shore. Now, what's really interesting about that? That phase after the reef, you know, between the reef and the shore, is if the, when the waves are coming in, they're big, they're ferocious. Their depth of penetration is quite large. They will pick up an awful lot of sediment, churn it around, and carry that. You know, that will sorry carry that sand around. Once they start to lose energy, their ability to carry sand diminishes quite rapidly. So larger grains of sand will start to fall out, um, and then eventually, you know, as the wave peters out, you, you'll find that the you know finer silts and sands will, will will fall out. And if you can do that, then what happens then is you now start to bring sand in, which has been picked up from the seabed far out at sea and brought in towards the coast and deposited closer to the coast. And again, it's very, very small amounts um, within each individual wave, but cumulatively over you know a period of time you know a couple of hours thousands of waves coming in they start that starts to become quite a noticeable um, quantity and, and to put that in context um, the reefs we've, we've, we've installed here it's not fully developed you know we've we've put in a reef which is a metal structure we're still growing rock on that uh, we've seen the just as a result of that reef we've seen the sand on the shoreward side quite close to the reef this, this is but it, it's increased by a we think about 30 to 30 to 40 centimeters and that's just a just because we've taken out just a little bit of energy so that sand that would otherwise have just you know kept on moving has has just dropped out of those those waves
2: so did the beach get uh deeper meaning that uh, instead of being a foot wide it was two three feet wide
3: it's it's marginal at the moment so we we think it's a Probably about two or three feet, as you say, you know, two to three, maybe five feet wider than it was. But it's I'm hesitant to say that that uh, we can sort of lay claim to having done anything significant just at this point. I want to, but you've got to look at the cycle across around about a year. Um, so whilst we've, we've studied, you know, we've measured the beach before we started, we measured it, um, just a few months, um, sorry, just a few weeks ago, and we are seeing a, an improvement of the beach here relative to either side of the reef. So we can, we, you know, we're fairly confident this, you know, this is an effect. But as I
2: said. But improvement, by improvement, you mean the beach is longer? It's,
3: it, no, it's slightly wider. Yes. Oh yeah. Slightly well, wider. All
2: right, let me, let's get some terminology. So if I'm standing, if I'm walking towards the ocean and if I, take, I come up to the sand, I'm about to step in the sand and I look at the ocean, what do you call the distance between the start of the beach where I'm at and the water's edge? Is that I, width, height? I,
3: what would you call that? Foot point. I, I would say that was the width.
2: Okay. So the, the direction straight in front of me, yeah, how it's, far it's I the, have to walk to get onto the beach is the width. Yeah. Okay. So so again, your metric of success is that the width of the beach has increased. Yeah. And what are, what are some other metrics and what are some other countervailing possible issues um, that happen if you widen the beach.
3: Sorry, what what so so uh
2: if, if if you widen the beach, does anything negative happen? Or does and, and um, again, what does it mean that it's it's better? Is it just mean that
3: it's more no, suitable no, no, for you,
2: people to hang out or what?
3: Very, very good question. You you can actually make things worse you can get these um so what's what a lot of people a lot of um, other companies have done is they've installed sort of breakwaters at, at sea so you know, you know what, what we're fundamentally trying to do is, is nothing partic- particularly new it's just the approach we're taking is very different but you can build breakwaters and you can get these things called tomb- tombolos right where it's i don't know where that term comes from exactly but it's essentially where the sand grows so much it, it actually goes out and touches the the breakwater you've created now if that breakwater is close enough to the shore that's not an issue but what often happens is people will put these things out there so it can be 100 200 meters off from the shore and then they get a sort of a sand pathway forming going all the way out to the structure now, you, you know, uh, you know the, the, the person who's put that, that sure. structure in is going, oh, this is fantastic. I've got all of this beach. But what you've now done is you've actually created an artificial barrier. So that, you know, that conveyor belt of sand that I was talking about, as that sand now comes in from one the, dire- you know, from the, the upstream direction and it meets this structure, it actually then gets diverted way out to sea. So the result is that whilst you're, you're thinking this is fantastic, your neighbor who's downstream of you gets completely messed up because they are that that's natural sand that was which would have moved down towards them. Is no longer going to go anywhere close to them, so it's it's really important where um, it, you know unless that was your aim and you know you've done the modelling and it, and, it, and you backed it up. But generally speaking, that type of you know having too much sand is also bad. So what you what you've got to you've got to do these things in moderation. So for us, we've we've put this reef out there we are going to monitor things carefully and if we start seeing that sand build up too much what we will we'll actually be doing is going out and taking out elements of our reef to allow more waves to come through to actually keep 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 the balance in check
2: so what do the reefs you put in look like you said one was made of metal are they typically made of metal and you know what are the materials yeah. choices and what's the uh, to... uh,
3: Yeah so at the moment we steel we, we use recycled steel rebar so they are rebar yeah when the hard iron hard. i mean yeah what you'd what you'd find on constructions um yes they would if you if you leave them alone, but we because of the electrification we do to to the structure, they don't rust fact, they do the exact opposite so so we we build these structures they are the, the simplest way to describe them is probably they're about the size of a typical sort of dining room table, So two and a half meters long, maybe two and a half meters wide, and they're about one one point. Current ones we've got here are about one point two meters high, and they essentially just a big arch. So you can think about um, I think of some comparable shapes, but it's yeah, it's, it's just a simple it's, it's a simple arch with steel mesh on on the exterior surface. And these are placed end to end to create a, a structure that you run along the top of the top of them um, at low tide, and they, as the waves as the waves come in, the these we've we've got you know you can imagine the whole sequence of, sort of horizontal bars, almost like just think about something like prison bars but closer together. Okay. And the, spa- right. the spacing of you know 20 centimetres apart. The bars aren't as wide as what you'd have in a prison. They're only they're only centers I understand. About so, sort of six mil wide, six to eight mil wide, depending on what we do. And, so you're
2: zapping a. Couple- Cage, I guess.
3: That's right. That's what it looks like. So you've got got this cage. Now that on its own doesn't do much. It's it's just like trying to hold back water with a sieve, right? What we then do is we're passing a a very small electrical current through the water, and we're doing essentially electrolysis on the seawater. Now, what that does is it changes the pH around the steel. So this, this steel structure where that we you know we were you know you were worried that we would rust what we've done is we've actually increased the ph in in that area made making the water slightly more alkaline and what that does is it causes um various minerals in the the sea particularly Mm, to precipitate out and and precipitate out exactly so this is
2: also what about the life forms that would would use that material in the ocean to form their shells and everything
3: well they love it because they they in you know, I'm not. I'm not a marine biologist, but they, in terms of you know, getting those min- minerals out of the sea, they have to you know use energy to uh, extract them. So now they go to an area where it's actually we're doing. We're ha- almost helping them do that. So. The, we find that corals um, I mean it's not work that we've done but uh, other, other teams have done work with this where they found corals grow typically sort of two maybe three times faster than they would otherwise because they the, the minerals that they need are almost being drawn towards them the other advantage for them is that the pH of the water so you've heard about acids so acidification of our oceans they right. they benefit now because the, the area we've created is a very very slightly more alkaline would otherwise have been so we've been you know, We've moved it in, in, in extreme cases by about two, two, two points on the pH scale. And on top um, of that, on top of have, that you ever, ju-
2: have you ever applied this to a natural reef? Could
3: you do uh, this? We, we haven't. No, we haven't. So, but uh, there are other companies like in Indonesia and et cetera who have done similar techniques, but they are trying to restore natural reefs.
2: Okay. Interesting. So the project that you've done on this, have you done any that are long term now, where it's been there for a couple of years and you could see the real effect of it, or are they all more recent?
3: No, we're we're still a young company, so we, the unit we have here has been in the water about five months. We haven't had it powered for the entire of that time because we've we've, I mean, dare I say we've had um, some technical issues at different points, so we which we've now resolved. But um, it's that you know that's long term this is the biggest project we've got it's 120 meters long um in addition to that we've got trials going on in, in barcelona and spain and we've had we've had individual units installed at two different hotels in cancun about nine months so you know we, we've
2: oh so nine months some of them what, what have you noticed yeah. over the nine month period that's probably the longest
3: right yeah, yeah exactly so those those we're seeing you know we we you know exactly what we want so we are growing rock around the structure so as, as i said we've started off this as sort a of metal cage what we're now doing all of that that metal is now building up rock around it so you're effectively creating like little little reinforced um, concrete beams and what they then do um, is, you know, provide more resistance to the waves. So the the, the structure is designed in such a way that, you know, a, a, as it becomes stronger, it actually has more mass and weight, and holds itself in position. It also provides greater resistance to to the waves. In addition to that, and this, this is what I'm. This is what I uh, alluded to at the beginning of the conversation. Um, is, is the growth of um, marine creatures onto that structure. So this is what's really exciting for us. It's, it's all the sort of calcareous organisms from oysters to corals. If you can encourage them to grow onto your structure, you know, they, they take off. And I've often sort of equated that to sort of like, you know, you know, if, if if you, if, if you or I jumped into a bath of chocolate, you know, we'd be very happy. And what we're doing with the, the reefs is we've, we're creating, we're creating this bedrock, which is exactly what they want. It's the exact minerals that they would themselves would form themselves from. So they are, you know, they, they, they have this. Fresh new rock that they can attach themselves. All we've got to do is now create the, you know, maintain that environment so they, they can thrive which is the next phase of our sort of company's development so we're going to really big push next year is is around you know what is the what how do we how do we encourage oysters in particular but also other calcareous organisms to grow on our structure um what you know what do we do with that electricity you know do we want to provide um, more or less or do things in a different way you know maybe only provide power at night or something like that so we're going to be looking at you know a lot of different variations around around this the other aspect of It is um is about the fish life itself and and this touches on you know the the educational side to what we want to do with the company fish an intrinsic part of any reef they they are really important because they go in they eat the algae they eat the algae off of corals they keep and they keep that you know they keep things healthy even to the point you know that their their poop Settles down on the sea floor, and that's what um, things like seagrasses can thrive on. I mean, you know, so the, this this whole ecology is really, really important. So you can't really solve. You know, we, we can solve one aspect. You know, we you know we build a structure that um, protects us against the waves, but we're not. It's not a long term structure. You know, as long we would constantly have to maintain that if we weren't able to recruit nature if we can get nature to sort of take over these structures which is what we're already seeing but we want to now promote even further you then end up leaving a structure where you know we only need to power it for maybe a year or so we can then take all of our electronics away and you leave behind a structure that is almost self-maintaining there's some really you know the the science out there is fascinating so we're doing some work with cornell university where and also exeter university in the uk um, we're going to be reaching out to Um, both of which have done work where they listen to the sound of natural coral reefs. And then what they do is they play back that sound of a natural coral reef to, you know, another, in another area. And what they found is they can actually attract fish into that region because the fish, that you know the fish listen out and go hey that sounds like a place i want to be it's you know it's where you know where, where i often sort of talk about it you know it's where, where the party's at so they all they, the fish go to that region because they they know that's where it's going to be it's healthy they've got lots of ravines and nooks and crannies they can hide in. so we can use the, those sort of techniques to draw fish into our into our structure to help keep it you know keep it keep it Keep it healthy. So, as, a t- as internally, what we talk about, you know, what we've currently got, we talk about as a digital reef. You know, it's, it's got a lot of electronics, it's it's pretty high tech. It's actually focusing on how do we grow rock really well. The next phase of our, our work is about how do we make that a living reef? What do we do with that electronics and stuff to actually, you know, supercharge the, the living natural environment? And then the third phase to that is how do we encourage locals here to actually um, res- respect you know, what we're trying to create. Um, the worst things we've seen here are fishermen now are, are sort of coming in and, uh, and actually just sort of sitting around our reef because they they can see that there's more fish in the area than there were before. And Yeah, but
2: that could be beneficial, you know, if you worked for the fishing companies course, and you were but, able to bring, you know, to give them uh, places to go.
3: But it's really short-term. It's really short-term. It's a very short-term view. If you... Again, go back to natural coral reefs. Coral reefs are so incredibly important for, for the world um, ecology. So it's something like 25% of all marine life um live, live in or were born within reefs, one form or another. So you take away that you know we've we've already lost something like 50% of the world's coral reefs. That the rest are severely under threat. And, you know there's some predictions that by 2050 we'll have lost something like 90, 95% of them. So and that that the knock-on impact for that, if you if in terms of you know where fish are born, etc., is, is huge. So and what, what we need to be doing in, in areas here is, you know, they've already fished out most of the waters. You know, they're having to travel further and further afield to get their fish. You We've got to establish here a sort of marine protected zones. So we're, we're working with the local government here. We want to work with, you know, other sort of environmental to Well, this seems like
2: a perfect way to cycle faster. I've seen yeah. some nations, you know, let's say they have five beaches around their island. They'll allow fishing on three of them. Let two go wild for six months and then switch to the two and then back. And, but exactly. your technology seems like it would accelerate this process a lot so that they you... can cycle faster and do stuff better
3: yeah you you could you could well you could easily do something like that so you 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 cycle through i mean it's the same thing we do with farming you know you you have a you you know you leave some of your fields fallow for a few years to let them sort of regenerate so you're quite right you could you could have areas where you say okay this year you can you can fish here but in the next two years you can't i personally my personal preference is that you would actually establish a sort of marine protected zone and you say okay do not fish in this area. Period. But beyond once once you go outside of that zone, yes, you can. And there's been some very very successful studies and what projects done both in the UK and places like New Zealand, where they've shown that if you if you lock off areas of the ocean. To any fishing whatsoever, when those the fish thrive in that area, they will actually restore you know, in numbers often within you know a couple of years, and then when they they spill out of that area into the surrounding waters, they do so in such great numbers that you end up you know everyone benefits, and that's where. You know, we're, 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 you know we're, it's not our job to go around setting up marine protected zones. But what we need to be doing is working with the experts and the governments in, in these regions to say, look, you know, we can help with that. You know, that nursery element of the system. Um, we can help create reefs where there's never been reefs before um, we can extend that in lots of other ways you know so we put structures further out at sea because you want you know you want to enhance um, areas for the fish to live in um, but we need we want to see that done in, as a, a sort of uh, a concerted joined up some joined up thinking with government with the local fishermen etc so we say okay well you know based on the hard science what's the best way of, of you know you getting a return also, you know, reefs are fantastic for tourism. You know, there's a, a lot of fishermen could potentially diversify into other sectors um, to supplement their income and, and still, right. still do. Yeah, we, we've got to be smart about that. Um, and we also need to do other basic things. You know, something like 40 percent of all the plastic in, in the oceans comes from fishing nets. You know the, 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 the fishing community have got to wake up and say, come on, we we've actually got to do our part to protect this phenomenal environment. And you just throwing odd fishing nets over the side is not acceptable anymore. We, you know, it actually it's actually killing the very thing that you're trying to live on. You know? So there there needs to be a, a lot more thought gone into this whole whole space.
2: I know it's you know it is serious, but I thought of a funny name for a company in this space. You call it Reefer Madness. Well, very good. So what's the best way for people to find out more about your work, see pictures of the reefs, you know, maybe see reports from the field on what's happening? So,
3: yeah, I mean, as as you as you introduced us at the beginning, obviously check out our website. So we're about to update. So um, C Cell co.uk we obviously have Twitter LinkedIn Instagram feeds as well pretty really bad actually at managing all of those but we're getting better so we're, we're putting out more stories on a sort of weekly often daily basis and yeah you know, that, that's that's the best way to follow us we're also very interested in people involved obviously have at the moment have a big focus around Mexico we, we've chosen Mexico for a variety of reasons but we're, we're, we just want to get everything working really nicely here when we have new ships coming out, people want to get involved and come down and new do structures um, that would be fantastic I'm, I'm hoping head across next year, and actually taking coral, smaller corals in and hatcheries and taking the sticking or connecting way And then there's just support in terms of you know monitoring and looking at what's going on. There's, there's, it's a fascinating environment. So that's, you know. and then if you're if you're feeling slightly generous, we crowdfund at the beginning of January. January for investors, particularly companies that might want to raise most sort of stage of evolution.
2: Very good. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it.
3: Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for the time.
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the finding genius podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the finding genius podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and want to be smarter than everybody else.